Once again, it is time to take a look at all things across the world of NFTs. It is the BitMart Brain Trust here across the BitMart network of podcasts and other visual doodads. For some reason, I am your host, Matt Ryan. And every single week on the BitMart Brain Trust, we are asking two questions. Is it interesting? And where's Kalichi? And joining me in asking and answering these questions is my favorite content manager and yours, the host of the Crypto Conversations. It is Nathan Simone. Nathan, my friend, we are doing this for, I believe, the ninth time? The eighth time? Uh, eighth? Actually, I think it's the eighth time. Yeah, the brain trust has convened. And it's really actually just, I was telling everybody before we got started here, Kalichi, one, where is he? Hope that he's doing well. Two, he would love this because he's a big play to earn guy. And as we all know, he is an NFT degen. Self-described, that's not an insult <laughs> to him at all. He, he described himself as an NFT degen. Now, gentlemen, he's very bullish on Cardano. I don't know what the Time Raiders uh, game, uh, what, sh what chain that's on or anything about that. That's why I'm here to learn. I know Matt has already talked to you uh, briefly. So Matt, you want to introduce these fine gentlemen or do you want to do self-introductions? Well, let's first and foremost talk about the project. It is Time Raiders, which is an awesome NFT game that we at BitMart are a somewhat a part of in terms of our NFT marketplace. And joining us on the program are two are three of the minds. We had two of the minds already. You listened to that episode of NFT 101. It was with Matt Nagy and this man who is a part of of the team, one of the minds behind not only Time Raiders, but the the independent game lab, Utopian Game Labs. It is Simon Bailey. Simon, thank you so much for being back on the show, my friend. I know we've got two members of your team on here. First of all, welcome back and introduce us to the members of your team. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be back again, Matt. Good to see you and lovely to meet you too, Nathan. I've got two of the vital team members here today. We've got Jonathan read john who is the um project manager and he's the person that makes sure that we stick to the roadmap and um that we actually uh, behave ourselves in the meetings and don't get sidetracked by chatting about <laughs> games all day and then we've got uh, luke uh who is luke richards one of the senior designers on the project who's very much uh, responsible for the law of time raiders and uh, a lot of the um the different factions, the characters, and a lot of the narrative in the game. So uh, two, two of, of our, um, it's a lovely team, 40 of us all together. And these, these guys are at the front of that, um, showing the rest of the team the way. Well, thank you so much, Luke and Jonathan, for being here with us on the Bitmar Brain Trust. And let's talk a little bit about gaming and the NFT platform, we've seen a lot of new concepts, new groups, new studios pop up in the course of NFT gaming. We've heard about unlimited battle royales, that ne you know, never-ending battle royales, new types of games. Time Raiders is really interesting to me because it combines a whole litany of popular game platforms to where you have competitive aspects to it, you have the play-to-earn aspect to it, but also... There's a little bit of Portal in there. There's a little bit of Assassin's Creed. There's a little bit of the old, you know, the old school Call of Duties with the the World War One, World War Two weapons. And also, as a guy who had a family member work at a claim in 1997, 
the Turok-esque dinosaurs. Now, Simon, my most important question to you, is is there green blood in the game? Because as someone who grew up in the 1990s and played a fair amount of video games, I I always wanted there to be green blood. Turok answered that question. Will there be green blood in Time Raiders? There there will be green blood in Germany because (laughs) you have to have green blood. You're not allowed to show red blood in in games. Um, But everywhere else, what do you say, Luke? You, you've designed uh, the color of blood is down to you, I think. Yeah, well, uh, it's going to be as red as possible. Um, <laughs> if we have to make it green for Germany, then that sucks for the Germans, I guess. But, uh, you know. I um, did not know. I did not know that uh, you're not allowed to show red blood in German video games. That's something that I've already learned here. Is that? Is yeah, that I learned that like last week from Simon, actually. It's it's very interesting. It's, uh, I mean, but no, I mean... Are- we're going back to Turok days. It, it, you know, I don't know if uh, they've changed the rules, but um, that was always the case. Um, mm. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, it's got to have a kind of uh, uh, gritty element to it. It's a, it's a mostly fun. It's a designed to be a fun game. You know, um, it's, it's kind of Diablo with guns, it's a bit arcadey, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but. No, I mean, we're not going full on green blood and, <laughs> and cartooniness. Kids can't own NFT wallets anyway, you know? <laughs> That's a good point. Well, you know, I was going to say, Matt, you know, I know that you've had a prior conversation with them that the, everyone can listen to on NFT 101 with Simon and Matt. But I'm new here, and we wanted to kind of do a, a deeper dive here into what Time Raiders is. Can anyone, uh, you know, from Simon to Luke to whoever, give it like you know, the people that are listening or watching right now, like start off with the fundamental question of what is Time Raiders? I know that it's a play to earn NFT game, but like, involved yeah. we've talked about green blood right now all sorts of stuff like give us a brief of what time raiders so well time raiders is a 3d video game um diablo with guns as luke said um but it's also a treasure hunt through time and we've chosen time travel because it gives us the maximum opportunity to make something for everybody. If you like Second World War, there's something for you. If you like dinosaurs, there's something for you. If you like steampunk, there's something for you. If you like sci-fi history, the birth of civilization with Egyptian aliens, we get to cover all of the bases. So we get to make the games that we want to make and that we believe will have the widest possible uh, market. We've also chosen a genre um, in a sort of three, three, three D third person action arcade. Uh, once again, so you can either pick up and play uh, if you're a casual player, or there's a deep narrative and a full uh, lore if you want to get fully into the game. And it just so happens that this fun game has an amazing economy that's been designed by um, Matt Nagy, who you met bef- before. Uh, he's um, he's a very experienced uh, free-to-play guy, and he's taken the compelling mechanics of free-to-play, uh, getting people in, making it sticky, and then keeping people there. He's got that uh, mechanic, but twisted it uh, to play to earn. So the idea is, at the end of playing Time Raiders, you've collected a load of treasure and you've earned a load of in-game currency expendium. Um, You've had a load of fun, 
and you you take a look and you go oh i've also made enough money for the day <laughs> and i've also got a whole bunch of nfts that i can sell on the marketplace if i want now the secret wow. with nfts here is that each nft has utility so if you have the submarine for example the submarine that allows you to fire torpedoes towards the land and it also allows you to unlock hidden underwater levels and the nfts over time they grow in utility and that's the way we want to increase the value of the nfts in the game so we're coming at it from a mainstream games market angle but we're populating it with real items of value and putting the power into the hands of the players that's time raiders in a nutshell i mean actually time raiders yeah. in a year's time will have made a kit of tools to allow players to make their own mods for time raiders and populate them with their own nfts and their own trader and buy and sell amongst themselves that was definitely a good explanation of Time Raiders, Simon. Thank you. Thank and while you were saying that, I was kind of looking at the website to see all about the tokenomics and the NFTs are on Polygon. Quick comment here. Uh, yeah. you know, as a 90s kid, along with Matt, everybody here is a little bit older than me and Matt, but that's okay. We're all still at the same video game playing thing, uh, ages. Do you remember when your mom said, hey, you shouldn't play video games because, you, you know, you can't make money doing that and you can't, uh, it's not going to be a career. Isn't it funny how now in the crypto space, that is literally not true. I've tried to explain this to my <laughs> own mother. I wasn't yeah. a huge video game guy. I actually did like going outside, but I've just found yeah. that with the utility of NFTs, with the play to earn stuff, with the labor that you're putting into video games, the fact that now you can not only have fun, but like you said, you can have a whole bunch of treasure at the end that literally has monetary value on the open market, to me is is totally fascinating. And I don't think people realize how interesting the play to earn model will be. And I feel like video games are just one of the first in incarnations. So uh, I also wanted to yeah. comment that, um, you know, one of my favorite movies growing up was Back to the Future. And one of the plot points of Back to the Future is that Marty is going to use this sports almanac that he has to go throughout history and place bets to his advantage. Well, I thought this is interesting because Time Raiders is kind of following the same concept, except instead of placing bets, you've actually got to do the due diligence and slay the dragons and uh, yeah. complete the tasks. So yeah, I, yeah. that really speaks to like the, the kind of nostalgic uh, heart in me. So very what, interesting. What a great on that. idea, Nathan. Maybe we can hide lottery numbers throughout time in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can have a prize pot pool that somebody can win if they find all the numbers. I mean, you know, just as long as it's not a DeLorean or Gray's sports almanac, so you won't have to worry about Universal or Steven Spielberg coming after you. I actually do want to do so, like pepper a series of clues to lead to treasure at some point, but uh, that's that's more active than the than the lottery, you know. Yeah, you give the player something yeah. to do. Just what would, what would we get cool. for a DeLorean NFT, you think? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know what's funny is, so I'm 31 right now, and I, it, yeah. depending on the day, I think that that's old or young. And um, I'm amazed at how many people, like when you go to Target or when you see younger people that are Gen Z, Back to the Future is apparently still very relevant. Oh, certainly. And, and to answer to me. 
to answer the DeLorean question, I don't know. Uh, it would have to be, I believe, in grams uh, per the John DeLorean origin story. Uh, <laughs> but oh yeah, <laughs> but when we when we talk about Time Raiders and we talk about this game, I love the look and feel of it. And a lot of the games that I reference that are compare, you know, the the comparisons I made to like the original Call of Duty and games like that. I love those because you have the 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 multiplayer aspect, the single player story, a lot of the things that you guys are trying to build. You're trying to build an entire universe within the game and without the game in the sense of community. And I think that's one of the key things, like when you take a look at the CSGO community, like I grew up playing Counter-Strike on servers uh, at two, three in the morning when I was in junior high school and high school over the summer. And I know how powerful those bonds can become. Like we saw it with Xbox clans, we saw it with WoW guilds. Those are evolving into true, real gamer communities. As you build these games out, you've made very strategic moves to like hit certain buckets. But when you're looking to generate your own Time Raiders community, what are the things you guys think you do better than some of these up and coming other independent studios? Anybody like to take that, or, or would you like me? I, I can sort of answer that. I'm not really yeah, we'll in charge of building the that. communities, but um, in terms of the overall message, I mean, we'll play, we'll we are building a game that is trying to get the most out of Web three rather than a, a hunt for NFTs, which have speculative value. You know, um, so we're coming at it from a perspective of people who want to make a great game. And um, and we believe Web3 has things to offer that. Um, it can also be misused, as we've seen. Um, but um, but yeah, I think people, I, I like to think people look at us and they see a video game first. You know, and they, they the comments on our Telegram and our Discord and stuff like that is a lot of, wow, this looks really fun. This looks really cool. That's what I'm here for. I'm trying to make it fun and cool, you know. So uh, it's hard. Yeah. That's the only thing I can attest to because uh, <laughs> I, I don't build the communities. You know? But I yeah, think I think it's a key top. part of that. Yeah. Oh, I totally, totally agree. Oh, well, we've got a great community that's coming together. They're they're already doing the beta tests and getting so much, you know, so much into it. Um, lots of feedback, um, some bugs, and some some great suggestions and things that we're uh, we're trying to take on board as well. Um, so we're getting a lot of feedback going backwards and forwards. And uh, yeah, they've been really, really active, getting really, really involved with playing, staking, um, and just lots of uh, lots of great, um, uh, yeah, community spirit. They're really getting on board with the whole lot. It's good. And, and for, for me, it's all about putting that power in the hands of the players. It's it's about the community for me. You know, if you think of a company like, um, well, I shouldn't name them. One of one major video games corporate corporate publisher four lawyers surrounding a pot of money and, and um, basically if you have assets in world of warcraft or you have assets in uh, these other games uh, if you try and buy and sell them uh, they find out they close your account if they decide to change the game you know your assets are gone all of the uh, hard work and effort you, you put in to collect them and build your community um, is gone. And when it's written to the blockchain, it's yours. You own the asset. And so we want to sort of make something that 
is for the players. And I love it because I'm an independent developer and I see it as disruptive. I see the future. Like when I see my son, he plays Fortnite and League of Legends, right? If he could earn enough money for his vape liquid, he'd be a happy man. That, that's all he needs, you know? Yeah. And I think there's millions of players in the West who, who are just like that. And it's just uh, uh, getting that disruptive message through to the mainstream gamers. But not only can they have fun, but they'll own the assets and they'll earn money from doing it. That's yeah, just to elaborate on that. Hmm. Yeah, just to, just to elaborate on that. I mean, Simon's very uh, professional and doesn't want to name names. I'll, I'll avoid naming the big publisher, but I'll name the game. Look what happened with Warcraft 3 Reforged. You know, they, they absolutely shut it down. All the modders, all the, uh, you know, all, all the worlds that people had created just dead because uh, they didn't own anything. Um, so, I mean, that's not because, that's not a because. Um, they had no recourse because they didn't own anything um, and nothing was theirs. It all belonged to Blizzard. And obviously no one was very happy that Blizzard did that. Um, but Blizzard always had the power to do that. Again, a nice thing about Web3 if, if we put that ownership of assets and that ownership of maps that they create, all that kind of stuff, into the hands of players, into the hands of gamer guilds, we don't own it. They actually own it. We, we could not physically shut it down even if we wanted to. And that's right in my mind. And, and, and the other thing, of course, now is that we, we have a relationship with the players directly. You know, they, they can feed back and we can make changes in real time and patch and just and send... Uh, new data uh, for them to play so we can make more of what people want. I mean, back in the day, right, we used to burn it to a CD-ROM, post it to America, right, and then we'd sit back for three days and wait for the CD-ROM to come back um, with some notes, you know, handwritten notes on it. Uh, <laughs> once, once you stuck it on a disc, it was gone, you know. Now we have a product that we can create with the community. And that's, that's what I'm talking about is that it is just so revolutionary, this play to earn model to speak to what you were saying, Simon, I have always found that it's crazy that um, you're not supposed to sell stuff that you like earn in World of Warcraft and games like that. Now, I'm not a I've never been a wow guy, but I do remember early Bitcoin lore is that people were selling their gold in World of Warcraft for people that had Bitcoin and the the um, the semblance being at the time that the gold in World of Warcraft was worth more than the Bitcoin. And obviously that has ended up being completely flipped on its head. Yeah. And those people yeah, yeah. who got Bitcoin for wow gold. Uh, even now in this market are doing spectacular. Um, but I have always thought, yeah, that that's, that's crazy that, you know, you put your labor, you put your effort into this game yeah. and people can say, they can say whatever they want to about, oh, playing video games are frivolous. You should do something else. That's their own personal opinion. But my point is that the labor is there. And if I've put 10 hours into Red Dead Redemption, yeah. whether it's multiplayer or whatever, and I was able to earn enough money to put in a retirement account or a savings account or make a yeah. um, make a down payment on a rental property, like if the value is there in the video game, yeah, people totally. wanted to play with me and that translated into real world value, uh, I mean, that's just a game changer in so many ways. And I'll finish yeah, this totally. Up. And that's well, sorry. I'll just I'll sorry, I'll just finish up this point yeah. by saying <laughs> there are lots of people right now in rural America who have high speed internet connections who don't have a lot of economic opportunities who right now are playing video games and right now 
people could say, oh, that's a waste of the time. They should move to cities. They should do this. They should do that. But if you could play video games as a form of value and then translate that value into improving your life, to me, and I don't use this term lightly, that is a revolutionary concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean it's got me so excited about this whole space. You know? Move mm -hmm. to earn, play to earn, learn to earn. You know, just these wonderful, you could get paid for what you love doing, what in whatever field it is. And it's a value because you're proving mm -hmm. that you're spending that energy. It's a great example, what you're saying about World of Warcraft. It's a great example of how in some genres, not much, I mean, in some genres, nothing about what makes a video game fun uh, or immersive has to change, you know, but people, they'd spend literally years of their lives in World of Warcraft. At, at, the, at World of Warcraft's peak, I believe it was the eighth largest economy in the world, bigger than Russia. Um, <laughs> That's and insane. Blizzard never even invaded Ukraine, you know, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, am I going to get you demonetized for saying that? I don't know. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do my best throughout. Yeah, um, <laughs> these guys know me. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean it, it doesn't have to change anything about a game like World of Warcraft or a game like what we're doing. The the fun remains the same. But imagine imagine the people who spend years playing World of Warcraft, especially at its peak. It doesn't have to be that they, that they. It doesn't have to be anything other than they get bored and they want to stop. But imagine if those people could cash out. You mm -hmm. know. Suddenly, those two years playing World of Warcraft—it's not—it's not a waste. They um, Blizzard got something out of it, and they got something out of it too. You know, yeah, it'd have been nice to get something out to my uh, level eighty, I think, um, troll hunter that I had that I spent. <laughs> golly, I think four and a half years playing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, John's like I speaking was... as a former addict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. But yeah, Warcraft was yeah was was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm sure it still is. Um, it took me a lot to escape from that, um, a lot of willpower. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if I could have made money out of that, even if it was just a little bit, just to, I don't know, pay for my beers or whatever whilst I'm playing for it or, or playing it, would have been would have been great. So that's the okay, thing that we love the idea of it. That. People do do that, don't they? They do they do uh, buy and sell stuff, but it's um, it's not safe. It's not ratified. And that, mm. That's the beauty of the blockchain when it's all provable yeah it's it's done on the black market you know there's still a thriving black market for diablo one you know but it's all it's it's all dark web and sure uh, you know, sure as simon says it's far from ratified you know why not just make it part of the game let the players do it you know what i think and and well you can go so I'm um, thank you, Nathan. Uh, what I when I was sitting here thinking, you guys were talking about Warcraft. My friends growing up in high school loved World of Warcraft, and they spent hours grinding in that game. I wasn't really much of a WoW guy. I wasn't really much of an MMO guy in general. Like any RPGs were really not my thing. But I was a big sports gamer, and I take a look at the modern sports game landscape, and it feels like the same game over and over and over again. But I oh, think. And I think NFT gaming could be the linchpin to the future of sports games because you can buy and own your favorite team as an NFT or you can buy and own players like the ultimate team concept. You can trade them. You can actually create value. You could create this entire economy that's similar. You can ape the National Football League 
with these NFTs and do these different leagues, if this was like a smaller league or something like that, you have the ability to kind of build that out and turn it into its own economy and it can update every year and you don't have to buy the same game over and over and over again. But you can make these microtransactions, you can make these purchases, you can invest, quote unquote, in your team. It allows for this fluid mobility, this fluidity of a game. And I think that if someone taps into that with the sports in the sports world, that there's going to be a huge adoption from it because sports fans, especially here in the United States, are kind of getting tired of single single developer games, single developer concepts, and basically minor evolutions every year instead of getting this new experience, getting these better experiences. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a reskin of a game that's existed for a very long time, whether you're talking about FIFA or Madden or whatever. And, and I mean, um, you're absolutely right. They, you know, you buy Madden 2022 and suddenly all those microtransactions you made on Madden 2021, they're just poof, gone, you know. Um, so they've got they've got the worst of all the game models there, really. Um, but, you know, again, it, as you're saying, it doesn't really have to be like that. It could be assets that you own and Madden 22 comes along and you still own those assets and they work the same in Madden 22. Yeah. Well, you know, and you guys, we've been talking a lot about, you know, it being on the blockchain here. And certainly there are many different blockchains. One thing that I noticed about Time Raiders, which I wanted to know if any of you would go into detail with, which is out of all the blockchains you could have chosen, Time Raiders is on Polygon. Is that correct? The NFTs are on Polygon. That's what I saw. Why, like, why choose Polygon over now there's Solana, now there's uh, Cardano, now there's like, I understand why you didn't choose choose Ethereum. That's easy just because it's slow and expensive. But like, why, why Polygon? I think people that listen to this show would love to know that because you, you know, you have the community of people you're building with the game, people that are gamers. But then also... We joke about them, even if you know it's not the greatest project in the world. So there may be some crossover from people that are just big, they're really, really bullish on Polygon. They're like, oh, they want to look for a game. They see that yours is on Polygon. That's an easy in for them. Yeah, I mean, it was um, one of our uh, senior developers. Um, but look, it's in context, just to say, um, we come from a mainstream gaming background. So we knew we wanted to make a blockchain game. We understood and fell in love with the concepts, two concepts, uh, players owning their own assets and play to earn. So we wanted to, to implement our token and we wanted to make sure that everything in the game was, was collectible and upgradable. And uh, so we hired, we put together a blockchain team and the blockchain team is led by Ken Huang. And Ken is uh, one of the series, um, senior serious uh, security experts in the blockchain space and he's built a team of eight uh, developers who are who do all our smart contracts and we went through a selection process and we got down you know we got through a three a few chains and um in the end it was binance and polygon and uh he he had a little table of criteria i can't remember what the criteria are now sure but but um, they were you know con- security was a concern, speed was a concern, um, uptake uh, was a concern, 
gaming community was a concern. And so we built a relationship with all of these platforms that we were speaking to. And Polygon convinced us uh, that their ecosystem, uh, the level of support, you know, they invested in our project. Um, they, they convinced us that they were the right place uh, to go. Um, you know, subsequently, you know, we've been courted by Wax. We've been courted by um, uh, Immutable X, you know, to, to, to maybe move chains. And I think ultimately we would want to be multi-chain down the line. We're quite used to doing, uh, making a game on Xbox and then remaking it for PlayStation. Yeah, and then remaking yeah. it for Switch, right? Mm -hmm. So switching chains for us doesn't seem like a, you know, anything different than a console port. Um, but of course, there are security issues, and this is what Ken brings up. You know, he reckons bridging—that's where the hacking happens, right? So um, he's right, <laughs> and he's not wrong. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, but we're very much enjoying the relationship with Polygon, and you know, it's it. We, I mean, we started out, we tried to get it on engine, uh, but it just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. So they they couldn't um, provide us with the with the things we the, the technology we needed in time. And this is also a year ago, so we were having different conversations than where we are now. You know, the space moves so quickly. Yeah, but that that's another see, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's another interesting thing that comes up too is so you mentioned that you're you're already used to like console porting and that almost like just hearing you say that that almost seems like an antiquated concept like oh having to change it for different consoles but this yeah. is something that comes up with the play to earn game fi social fi space is that yeah. within a matter of I'll, I'll say five to ten years five being probably the minimum. Um, not only is blockchain tech just going to be so integrated into like the stuff we use, like phones, computers, and all that, but you're going to be able to switch chains just as easily as you could switch applications. And that it's going to be, you're kind of going to be in the best of both worlds where it's like Time Raiders is an awesome game. You want to play Time Raiders. It doesn't matter whether you're on Binance, Smart Chain, Polygon, Cardano. You do a quick bridge, you get over, you're playing Time Raiders. And like, you know, uh, it's this, it's the same thing of when I think about like when I Matt mentioned playing GTA today or me, uh, Red Dead Redemption two. And it's just like, I know that there's already a lot of games where you can play online with people of different consoles and it should be the exact similar concept. It's, it's going to be great moving forward because then it really will kind of come back to like, is your game good? Do you, does it have a good community? Do people want to play it? It makes me think of, you know, the reason why Nintendo, I think, had such a great audience for the longest amount of time is because, one, they were console-specific, but, two, they just always had amazing games. They were always blowing people out of the water with their games. But if yeah. you could have an amazing game and not limit people in your audience by any sort of, any sort of factor, then, I mean, that, that, is, that yeah. is a utopian game, you know, to yeah. uh, nod to your type <laughs> <out> there. <laughs> <That's brilliant>. That <laughs> is a utopian game. Yeah, I mean, we, we've always, it's always been a hit-driven business. You know, it's the killer app, it's the Metal Gear Solid, it's the Medal of Honor, it's the Wipeout, the things that, that make, make um, have a breakthrough in, in, in bringing the audience to that particular platform. And, and so that, and that's really what we're, you see, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't do a rug pull um, if you asked us to. We couldn't, we couldn't do, um, you know, we, we couldn't do, uh, we couldn't create the token just for speculation. 
um, because we're wired to try and make a good quality game. You know, that's, sure, yeah. That's what we do. Right? And so everything else, it has to, like, if our token does well, it has to be for the right reasons, you know, and that's because people are loving the game and playing the game. And we balance the economy such that people will spend two expendium to get three, you know, will burn one. And, and you know, we that way we keep, keep the whole economy going and the whole ecosystem going yeah luke jonathan any any kind of comments on that about just like a multi-chain future or getting you know kind of like how simon said like just getting the biggest audience possible while making a uh, a great game I think you go first, that's luke. what it's all about sorry go on john do you want to no no ahead? i'll let you go first because i know that okay. you've got something to say well, yeah, totally. I mean, almost everything you've heard me say is about games and, and my passion for them. The stuff I think is kind of predatory, the stuff I think is great, the ways I don't think um, I don't think Web3 needs to change gaming. There's a fair amount of concern that it's going to ruin gaming, and there's a fair amount of projects that have, that have stoked that concern. Um, but, you know, we're in it to make a great game. That's the whole point. Um, there, there's nothing else that really, Simon knows this, there's nothing else that really interests me. Um, and uh, the other stuff, you know, if people if people earn money by playing our great game, then fantastic. That's uh, that's great. But but I'm here to make a great game to the best of my ability, you know. And and, and it's obviously coming. You know, I mean, I know that Luke is very concerned about you know onboarding and having to set up complicated wallets and stuff before you can even play the game and. You know, converting one cryptocurrency into another before you can get started. And uh, we, we're just integrating with Sequence Wallet, for example, at the moment. And Sequence Wallet allows you to log in using Google or Facebook. Um, it creates a wallet for you right there. There's a drop down menu, what chain you want. And it's, um, it, it's that process is starting of, of making the experience more um, user friendly and so multi-chain, it's, it's in our roadmap for sure. You know, we're thinking about reaching as many people as we can. Yeah, and yeah, so I, think you're, I think you're right, Nathan. It's virtually inevitable that it'll move in that direction. And I think it'll need to move in that direction to attract uh, a mainstream audience. You know, I personally found it quite confusing getting into crypto and experimenting with crypto games and blockchain games and stuff like that, because it's quite, it, it, you know, you had it, the, the barrier to entry was big even just a couple of years ago you really needed to know what you were looking for before you could find anything to look at you know um but uh that's already changed a lot and um and i think it's going to get better yeah and we're, we're very aware that you know one of the big hurdles for for anybody coming from outside the crypto community um is the getting on board i mean it's it's quite a mm -hmm. Quite a daunting thing, setting up your wallet, setting up, you know, buying currency and getting on board on, on any game or any platform. Um, so what we're trying to do is if there's anything that we're doing that's new or different, we try and make sure that we do some tutorial videos to, to share with the community and share with everybody else from the perspective of somebody who hasn't done it before. So, um, so for example, when we were doing staking, we did some, a whole load of staking trials and tests. We got some one of our guys to uh, one of our you know, great uh, community guys. Uh, sorry, one of our great guys in the team, um, who is fantastically charismatic, 
uh, on videos, which you'll you'll probably come across if you watch any of our YouTube videos. It's, uh, it's Matt, Tom. Matt, 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 Tom uh, well, Matt's very good, but and uh, and Tom's also very good from the perspective of showing you how to play the game, how to set up your wallet, how to join the staking community, or how to set up for staking. Um, getting on board. We're going to be doing even more with him as we go forwards. Um, he's also a guy who's um, uh, doing daily uh, Twitch streams just for an hour, but it's just kind of getting people used to what the game looks like, what the levels look like and stuff like that. Um, and he's doing it from a QA tester's point of view. So you're getting a lot of the nitty gritty stuff, but also you're getting a bit of the, uh, you know, okay, this is where you know, there was a, there was a particular bug we fixed and should be able to show you what what's improved about it or whether there's still a bug in that particular build and as he's playing the new builds before they've even been released to the beta community he's also already showing them hey look this is this is what you guys have pointed out and showed us and he's actually able to to show them too so uh, yeah we're we're loving that sort of part of being able to be part of the community as well as giving back as well as trying to make sure that the community and anybody else coming on board actually could find an easiest way of coming on board, so the FAQs and things like that in the videos. Well, as a fan of the movie Grandma's Boy, QA testers and game testers are, are some of my favorite people. <laughs> uh, that movie is underrated, and oh, I, I yeah. feel like it, we people need to put respect on its name. But we're putting respect on the name of Time Raiders right now. You can go to timeraiders.io. That is timeraiders.io for more information on the game and how you can join the community. We've got... The, some of the minds behind not only the studio, but also the game here. This has been an awesome conversation, guys. And I know, you know, Luke, you're talking about your passion for gaming. Jonathan, you know, Simon, you guys also have a passion for gaming. I want to know the aha moment to where I was like, where you guys were like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my time on this earth or until they throw me in the sanitarium. Like, how do you, excellent question. How do you get, how do you get to that point? Because that's one of the things I love about getting to talk to creative people in this community is there's so many people from so many different walks of life. Like me and Nathan are different people. I'm a carny. He's a well-meaning country boy. Who's very, very smart. He's a very well, he like it's NYU and Auburn. Like we're two very different people, but we all, we love what we do and we love working with each other. And you, you find yourselves at these different fracture points in your life. Like Simon, you said you were, you, you guys have major studio experience. How do you have that aha moment? You want to get into gaming and then the aha moment where you're like, yeah. damn the man, damn the business. I'm going indie. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was lost uh, for a long time. I, I was, um, uh, because I've always been creative and I've always built dungeons for dungeons and dragons. I've always drawn and, and come up with ideas. And I never felt like I, I loved that so much. I never felt like I'd be able to get paid for that. You know, I, I was, my parents could, would, I think I had an, a, a sort of work ethic that, you know, work had to be hard and had to be something that you did, you know, with your time for money. I didn't know that you could make money from uh, doing something that you loved. And then, I, and then I had a couple of aha moments. One, I was watching my little brother play asteroids on the tv uh, back in the day mm -hmm. and uh, all his friends were surrounding the television and they were all completely engrossed i couldn't even get near the tv 
So I was just sitting watching, thinking, oh, this is going to be big. Not knowing that later down the line, I was making like multimedia CD-ROMs um, and uh, the sort of birth of, you, you know, home computing. Uh, I did the history of punk on CD-ROM. I did the Second World War on, on CD-ROM. And we were getting like, you know, $150,000 for a gig. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How do you go from the history? You can't just glance over a light (laughs) tramps over the history of punk and then the history of World War II. (laughs) Now, CBGB's on New York City Hardcore Night and Dresden are very similar. But when you say that you get like, that's how your origin story starts. Like that to me is just insanity. Like to me, like having that as your impetus into the industry, your first traipsing. And like, you have to explain the New York dolls and the addicts and just this entire scene. And then like, oh, here's Hirohito, you know, the Zimmerman telegram, all of this stuff. (laughs) Just that, that confounded me on a molecular level. Yeah, I, I, I mean, everybody was saying books were dead, right? And that multimedia was the future. And everything was going to be on disc and it was going to be, you know, video and animation and everything munched together. And there are only a few of us who had, like, experimented with putting that stuff together. Video games was already further down the line. Um, we had Marathon if you remember that one, on, on uh, the first Apple Macs, um, the first sort of 3D, actually it might be, no, 3D shooter, first-person shooter. And then, um, but my mate, my friend up the road, he was making PlayStation 1 games, and he was getting paid millions in, in royalties. He did something called Croc. It was a Croc or something, anyway. And they, they got paid a 1.2 million and we were getting like a hundred grand for these CD-ROMs. And, and I just said to everybody, right, boys, we're going this way. And I never knew that we would get to express ourselves creatively in the way that we can, you know, in video games. And I would suggest anybody to follow their dreams because it's a huge industry. There's plenty of room for everyone. Luke, Jonathan, anything to add? Were any of you in Husker do? If at some point, <laughs> uh, my origin story, um, I, I honestly can't remember a time when I wasn't uh, almost obsessed with creating stuff, you know, and, and um, it was all kinds of stuff. The first game I, I started making was a hypercard game back, uh, back when I was supposed to be doing my homework, making hyper, a hypercard game. And see, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but uh, yeah, it was kind of. Yeah, so I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't creating stuff. And video games was always my favorite form of entertainment and form of art. So I think it's only natural that I kind of gravitated towards this, you know. And and so it, it's more like it's a boring origin story in a way. I just always needed to. I, I couldn't imagine my life not creating stuff. When I'm not creating stuff, I'm bored. That's the shit I love to hear. That, that right uh, there that, gets me. I was going to say, that sounds a lot like Steve Wozniak. They asked yeah. Steve Wozniak, why was he like building computers and all that? And he's like, I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't connect circuits together and like up <laughs> up the RAM. And you're just like, okay, that makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah. mine's, mine's quite different to, to the others. Um, my origin story is uh, uh, I 
at university um studied physics and physics and business studies so quite quite boring side there but always wanted to be able to play and create video games but never thought it was an option for me um i went to different industries um uh, mostly electronics consumer electronics all sorts um i've even worked in the defense industry i've worked in quite a few different places um but as a project manager was able to start applying my my skills as a project manager in different things and eventually realized on discovered opportunities where yeah i could apply one my scientific background um and my project management towards uh, video games and been quite lucky over the last 10 years been playing around with things like unity and and other features like that uh, meeting up with with people like Luke and eventually Simon, and uh, I've had uh, the opportunity to to find my way in this way. But uh, let, let yeah, me ask you one question, John: How long have you been playing Dungeons and Dragons for? Properly, <laughs> probably about five years. <laughs> five years. But, I thought you played it all your life. No, no, no. Um, I played uh, mostly PC games and console games since. Golly, we had BBC B back in the early 80s. So, uh, yeah, I've been playing games for a long time. And uh, the, the fighting fantasy books, which are quite a lot like playing D&D on your own. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's quite sad, actually. Um, <laughs> ah, stop it. But, yeah. Are you, are you big gamers, Matt and Nathan? I would consider myself somewhat of a gamer. Like, I, I've been playing video games my whole life. Um my uncle had an Atari Jaguar when I was a kid. So I, I, you know, I've been through all like the Sega CD and all that other stuff. My uncle had like all the consoles. Uh, I was a heavy fan of Counter-Strike for a very long time. Like me and my friends would do that. Uh, in high school, it was, we were so down bad for Halo that me and my buddies <laughs> oh, would bring an, we would pack Xboxes into our book bags mm -hmm. and like not bring our textbooks on Fridays or you'd bring a second backpack to bring the Xboxes to our friend's grandmother's basement to where we had a router <laughs> hung up in the middle of the room and we would play Halo System Link across four TVs in yeah. one basement and in the middle of the room would be an ongoing poker game. So it was just this weird pseudo child casino that had Halo involved. <laughs> and, and in high school, oh, that's brilliant, man. we had, we also, I didn't have a DS, I was poor, but my friends had DSs. Uh, and they would play Mario Kart and they would wager on the games. So we would be standing at the subway station. There would be these games and people would rack up $100 of debt, 250 of debt and do these ridiculous double, triple or quadruple or nothing <laughs> bets. Like it was ridiculous. It felt like if you had a scene kid write a Scorsese movie and... <laughs> And that was that was the majority of high school uh, for me was was that like that was sophomore to senior year. And it was that was just pretty much a huge part of my life. Uh, my friends uh, that I grew up with, we would do NBA 2K fantasy drafts and then simulate the seasons and see who was the better GM. Like that would be like the level 
of insanity that would go down amongst my friends. Like we, we, I had a lot of my, those same friends that I played Halo with love. Wow. I was never really a wow guy. I suck in MMORPGs. And instead of just getting angry and breaking my computer, I'm like, I'm not paying 10 bucks a month for this. I'll walk away. I'm gonna find other things to do. And that's why I'm in podcasting. <laughs> well, gosh, I'm not going to be able to top Matt's story there. Uh, well, that that you know was what? like an episode of Stranger Things without the monsters. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's exactly why I love working with Matt is because Matt is able to, he's a wordsmith who has so much, in, so much more interesting uh, experience in certain realms than I do. I'm, you know, I'm a, let's put it this way. I'm a recreational gamer, but growing up, certainly when Matt talked about having all the Xboxes connected together, I thought about, oh yeah, just an old school land party. We're all drinking Mountain Dew and eating chips and staying up until 4am or whatever. Uh, yeah, I definitely did that, but it was, you know, I've always been, I'm a pretty big outdoors guy. So, mm. and in high school, I was in high school through no skill of my own. I actually was pretty decent with, with girls and stuff like that. So I've always had one foot in the gamer world where I love video games. I appreciate them as art and I really appreciate the historical aspect of them. Like Red Dead Redemption to me is not just a cool game to play. There's so much history in it because I love the history of the old West that mm -hmm. like being able to be in that environment and kind of see what it might've been like is just, it will be endlessly fascinating to me. If I could only play one game for the rest of my life, I would just love to be in there. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always been a very casual gamer where I really dislike when people say that gaming is a waste of time or that gamers are this way or the other. Cause I know that's not true, but at the same time, I, I feel like a bit of an outcast when I'm around a bunch of gamers because I can kind of take them or leave them They're You know, I don't have to do them, but I, I mm -hmm. really, really appreciate all the art and the hard work that goes into them. It's almost like like programming when i see people make apps or computer programs or when you look into like the back of bitcoin i think making a game is just as hard it's not this is not a casual undertaking it takes a lot of work it's like also like a movie too when you when you understand how movies are yeah. made yeah. and you you can only appreciate the final product you don't mm -hmm. see how many cuts how many retakes oh it's raining oh you had to have seven people do the lighting and it's like it, you you really get to appreciate when you're playing a well-made game that just hundreds of people came together on this. Yeah. I, I actually yeah. wanted to ask you guys really quick, unless you had a retort to me or Matt's uh, gaming um, gaming histories. You know, since time, like I said, I'm a big history buff. I love history, just all different types of history. And Time Raiders is obviously a historical game. It takes place in different historical periods. It's literally called Time Raiders. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to ask each of you um briefly what is your favorite historical period that is in time raiders and why uh, I, oh without spoilers we can't do that because we only have two periods in there at the moment so. oh, <laughs> oh, oh okay i thought i thought <laughs> let's throw in a few right. spoilers no worries, no worries. We don't want to do spoilers. I just saw there that, you know, everything from Victorian steampunk to medieval dark ages to to feudal Japan. My brother, I'm sure, mm. would love feudal Japan. He's a big... Uh, yeah, that's going to be mine, that too. Era. Actually, yeah. Steampunk is more Okay, so yeah. So wait, no spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers, please. Just what would be your favorite anticipated time period? It would be interesting. Yeah, I, I do really look forward to doing feudal Japan. Uh, it seems so. super good. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. You, John? Yeah, I can see that. For me, I, I, to be honest, I'm really looking forward to it. So 
you know that our next big era is going to be um, uh, is prehistoric. Okay. I think we've already communicated that, and there's going to be a little bit in the uh, uh, in some footage that's coming up very soon as well. Um, that's the one that I'm really looking forward to because there's this, there's a whole load of stuff going on there, which is going to be really fun. That's so that, that, that's Herak, that green blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Simon, Simon, what about book. you? No, no spoilers, but like, what would no, be your yeah, favorite? Definitely, it's, steam, it's steampunk for me. I, I like, I like contraptions made of brass and glass, and mm -hmm. you know, huge weapons that have the power of a modern weapon, but they're they're Victorian in nature. I, lo I love that. The whole dark alley, all of that rooftops, every everything Victorian floats my yeah. boat. You know. Simon's got incredibly eclectic taste when it comes to steampunk art as well. We'll, we'll be looking at something and I'll be like, oh, that's really cool. And he'll be like, what if that tiny screw there removes three inches to the left? And, and you know, and then he's right. It actually would look cooler when you think about it. But uh, yeah. yeah, got a great eye for yeah. it. That, they keep me out of development. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been an awesome conversation, guys. As as the game continues to develop, I would like to have all of you and Matt on an episode of not only NFT 101 again, but the Bitmart Brain Trust, which we're on right now. The game is Time Raiders. The information on Time Raiders, including how you can find more information on how to be a part of the community, is at timeraiders.io. That is timeraiders.io. And this has been the team from Time Raiders. Once again, I want to thank you guys so very much. The head of the studio, yeah, Simon so. Bailey the designer Luke Richards and the project manager Jonathan Reed guys thank you so much for being here and hopefully you guys want to come back oh yeah I'd love to um is it okay to mention that we've got the uh, NFT uh, sale on the 20th of July yep on the Bitmark marketplace Yep, and on July, yep, July 20th, uh, this week, uh, this is dropping on Monday. So on Wednesday, on the BitMart Marketplace, the NFT Marketplace, we'll have the information in the description, both in the YouTube version and in the podcast version, and we will be keeping track of that on our social media, at BitMart Exchange, that is at BitMart Exchange, and to find out how and how you can be a part of the Time Raiders community and follow, like, and subscribe, and all the other Michigas that comes with being a product existing on the internet or the metaverse, Go to timeraiders.io. That is timeraiders.io. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Nathan, for riding with me every single week. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Jonathan. And thank you, Simon. This has been the Bitmart Brain Trust. And now for the part that everybody loves. It's when Nathan gives you all the legal stuff. <laughs> Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in this very unique industry. But now we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, all right? It's just the way that it is. So I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of Bitmart. Bitmart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. BitMart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely accurate.
at your own risk.